Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. When Gigi and I transitioned to a whole food plant-based diet, having easy, delicious recipes at our fingertips made all the difference. On danielsplate.com, you will find whole food plant-based recipes that will easily become your go-to meals. So if easy and delicious sounds like your vibe, go ahead and check out danielsplate.com today. Welcome to Healthy For My Purpose. I'm your host, Cersei Blue. I am so excited about this episode because we challenge you to think outside your plate and start a revolution in your family, in your community, in your church, and even in the world. And this can all start with what you decide to put at the end of your fork. We explore five areas to starting a revolution with your plate, health, spirituality, the environment, social justice, and animal rights. So... If you are someone who is curious about going vegan, thinking seriously about it in the process of transitioning, or you're well on your way to a vegan lifestyle, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another podcast of Healthy For My Purpose. Um, And we have a really intense conversation. Because if anyone knows Gigi and I, we are always pushing the benefits of eating plants, whole food plant-based, but we're going to really delve into all of the reasons why eating this way is so powerful. Um, And so we're going to talk about the health aspect, the spiritual aspect, the environmental aspect, the social justice aspect, and of course, the beautiful creatures that are in this planet, the animals. So we're going to talk about everything. So if you are ever in doubt, or you're like, I need five reasons or two reasons why I need to go plant-based, this is going to be the episode for you. Because if you had any doubt left, on why you need to adopt this way of living, you will leave this episode with no doubt. Um, So let's jump into it. Let's just start with what we pretty much talk a lot about, which is the health benefits. This Mm -hmm. is the platform of Healthy For My Purpose, uh, Daniel Fast. A lot of it starts with health because, and I think it's important to start there because guys, listen, we can't manage the planet. We can't take care of the animals. We can't live our spiritual lives and live on our purpose if we are not first on the list of taking care of ourselves. Because if we don't exist, nothing else exists. And so let's just talk about the benefits of it from a health perspective. I think for me, this blew my mind, this whole aspect of a plant-based diet, because when you compare it to every other diet that's out there, it's like leap years indifference. And so what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really, and it's the evidence. It's not even anecdotal or my experience or your experience. Like it's the collection, the body of evidence, the science behind it, both 
both empirical studies, like, like actual hardcore cause and effect studies, as well as more of the association or population type studies. And so when you look at the body of all that evidence, it really is the only nutrition plan that um, can address heart disease, the number one killer. It addresses type two diabetes. It addresses certain cancers. It addresses autoimmune diseases. Um, it addresses dementia, um, mm -hmm. which you know is becoming more and more of a problem um, mm -hmm. in in this country. So you know, it when you look at all that evidence, and I'll just start. I mean, I'm not. We don't have to dive into all the science, but I do want to mention one study in particular. Um, which is kind of my favorite study um, because it was the first of its kind back in the 1990s. And it's also the study that does dive into the number one killer heart disease um, in this country and other, other Western style countries. And it's the Lifestyle Heart Trial with Dr. Dean Ornish. And um, this is a study that was done in a controlled environment. So this is not a population study, although the population studies are overwhelmingly convincing, you know, the Adventist studies and, okay, but we're not, I don't wanna get into that right now. So the lifestyle heart trial showed that you can reverse heart disease without the use of medication um, just using lifestyle techniques. One, one of the main components of that is a whole food plant-based um, dietary pattern. Um, and it's, it's more of a low fat whole food plant-based. So, um, and it showed not only did it, you know, lower cholesterol levels and improve blood pressure and all of that, but it also reduced, um, you know, pain associated with angina. Um, it also, um, showed like graphically, you could see like arteries before being blocked and then like literally opening up. So you could see like the blood flow um, being restored as a result of that. And um, this was back in the nineties. Okay. So, you know, that this was like 40 years ago. Right. Yeah. And yet for some reason, and we know why, which we'll get into later, <laughs> um, that information is just not widely known um, or it's widely ignored. It's known, but ignored. Um, but I do, I have hope that it's changing. Um, I have hope that it's changing because the growth of lifestyle medicine is becoming more and more um, um, in the forefront. And had several episodes <laughs> of different lifestyle medicine physicians, including a cook and chat with um, Dr. Susanna Bazzoni. And so um, I do believe it's changing. It's just very slow and, and, and there's reason for that. So, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's picking up its pace now more than it ever has, I think. But, um, you know, what's amazing about the science is that Normally, when you think about chronic health issues, you say to yourself, well, I might be dealing with cancer, so maybe I have to do this diet, or I have a heart you know, issues, maybe I need this diet, I have obesity, maybe I need that diet. But the, 
The powerful thing about a whole food plant-based diet is that it's the same diet for every single condition. So you don't even have to have 10 different diets. And a lot of people, let's face it, our chronic health issues overlap. Mm -hmm. And to know the empowerment to know that I could just eat this way and I'm going to number one, pre prevent the number one cause of death. That alone to me should sign off on the deal. If we hear nothing out, we just shut this podcast down right now. <laughs> that alone, honestly, we should say nothing more, but it's yeah. preventing the number one cause of death. That alone. And so when you, but when you add everything else into it, obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, certain cancers, dementia, come on, man. Like the, the science is so clear um, and so powerful and and, and, and I'm glad it's there because a lot of times when people hear our stories, like Gigi, you know that you had an issue with cholesterol. I had an issue with plant-based diet. I mean, with um, high blood pressure. And when we adopted a whole food plant-based diet, those things got resolved. And so we realize now that we were in a context of years and years and years of studies that we just fell into that. We weren't an anomaly. This wasn't, um, you mm -hmm. know, like something that was off the beating path, but we realized that we were actually a product of all this research that had already been known and so for me I'm always encouraged by that and and, and I'm sold that's why I'm sold for life because yeah yep yep and so you know the health the health piece is is a big one right should we yeah. move on to spiritual or do you want to yeah because they kind of go hand in hand yeah they, they kind of marry each other like here's the the spouse to the health you know because <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, when you move into the spiritual piece, our bodies are the temple of God. I mean, mm -hmm. we are housing the Holy Spirit, number one, but number two, we're also carrying the mission and the purposes of God in so many different ways. Like, I mean, we're called to love, we're called to heal, we're called to bring all kind of goodness into the earth, and we have to be healthy to do it. And so spiritually speaking, there is just no way that we can divorce our health from our spirituality, because if you're sick, your spirituality is compromised. Mm -hmm. And then on the other level, which Gigi, we both could attest to this, is that we don't realize how blurry toxic foods make you spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, mm -hmm. emotionally everything it yeah. clouds your perspective it clouds your judgment and sometimes you don't realize that and you and, and until you kind of remove those foods out of your life and then you realize wait a minute god's voice is clearer now my yeah. perspective is clearer my emotions are more stable um and so all of those things are spiritual issues and so we really can't ignore our health because it's so tied into our purpose and our spirituality. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And I, and, and we're not unique. Like I, I interviewed several people and they, yeah. when they moved to this way of eating, they attested to having more spiritual clarity. Yeah. Um, even one gentleman said to me that he had a temper problem and when he started eating this way, he, it kind of resolved on its own. Like he wasn't angry yeah. anymore. He said it was the strangest thing. Like, like, how do you, how does food change your mood like that? You know, yeah. and we, we know that, you know, 
there are um, changes in the microbiome that um, influences that. Um, but also I think it has to do with aligning with your values. And um, you talk a lot about bringing faith to the kitchen table. Yeah. And what are you saying grace over? Um, and, and, and I think there is something subconsciously that when you're saying grace over toxic foods, you're, you know, I don't, I don't even know if you're aware of it. Like I know I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not aware of it, but there's a disconnect. Uh, yeah. There's a disconnect. There is, um, there's almost, uh, yeah, there's just, there's just this disconnect from what is truth. Mm -hmm. and what is reality, you know, because here we are and we do it so off the cuff, it becomes more ritualistic because if you're really assessing your plate and you're looking at all these foods that 50, 60, 70% of the time we know is like either making us obese, you know, I shouldn't be eating this with my diabetes, you know, whatever, you know, this thing, you know, you, you just got the list from the doctor's office, went straight to a restaurant and bless some crazy food. Right. We do this, but it's, it's, it's part of that disconnect. And I feel spiritual growth in, in every area is about bridging that gap. It's about mm -hmm. taking the disconnects from our life and aligning them with God's truth. And part of that alignment, I feel, is how we eat, mm -hmm. it, you know, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, think on these things. I think that's a general principle that when we're out of alignment, it bears negative results, you know, right. and it just pushes us more and more into denial. Because if we could say grace over a food, it kind of subconsciously tells us, don't worry about it. It's all mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And no, you need to worry about it. And it's not all good. And so it's a way for us to stay in denial. But when we challenge ourselves to say, I'm not going to bless any food that just doesn't make sense. That's like putting junk in my body. It allows you to be convicted. It allows you to take accountability and responsibility. And um, it's empower and it's empowering because now you're saying, I'm going to consciously make my values match what I'm eating. And, and there's on so many different layers. We'll talk about it. It's not just what you're eating, but how the food even got to your plate in the first place, the social right. consciousness around that, all of it. And so it just makes you more aware. And I think that's what growth spirituality is all about. It's becoming when I know better, I do better. It just keeps yep. you in that elevated state of learning. So, yeah, yeah. And, and what I this really is at the heart of what we do um, yeah. with Healthy for My Purpose Academy and our program, Daniel Fast, a bridge to healthy living, because it really is, you know, the body is the temple of God mm -hmm. and having that mental and spiritual clarity and physical stamina to live yeah. out your divine purpose. And I feel like I, it's, I think some people really get that and other people, I think it's, it's a little esoteric and kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, out there. And so I, I just, I feel like that, that, that when, when you don't know what good feels like, it's going to feel, it's going to sound weird. Yeah. But when you get to that place where, and you can do that, you know, obviously with our boot camp, our five day boot camp that we do. Um, and the and the four week program, 
when you get to that place where you start to feel that energy, that boost of energy, you mm -hmm. detoxed from those toxic foods, you get that yeah. boost of energy. Yeah. Then I think you start to get that concept of being healthy for your divine purpose. Yeah. But unless you know what good feels like, you know, you're going to be walking around on autopilot saying, what are these ladies talking about? That doesn't yeah. make any yeah. sense. That just sounds yeah. like a bunch of, you know, yeah. crazy talk. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know I didn't feel good until I felt good. You know, I yeah. thought, I mean, I knew, I knew, you know, my energy levels were deteriorating. I knew I was starting to put in, put on weight, but I really didn't know yeah. what good felt like until I yeah. gave up those toxic foods and only put in my body healing mm -hmm. restorative foods, which yeah. whole plant foods. That makes total sense. Um, and, and I think part of the spiritual assignment, we can move into this area, is that part of our spiritual responsibility, I feel, and a lot of times we, we kind of ignore this as well, is that we're supposed to be stewards of the environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our role here on the planet is not to make it worse, is <laughs> not to destroy it, it's not to exploit it, you know, but really and truly, if again, it's back to the values again, it's back to the spirituality, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, do you think Jesus, you know, how would Jesus treat the environment, the creation of God, it, you know, on the earth? And so part of our responsibility, and I think sometimes the church doesn't talk about this as much, is what role and what responsibility do we have to take care of the planet. I mean, that was the first commission that was given to us. You know, when Adam was there, he said, you have dominion over this and, you know, all the plants, the vegetables, the, the, um, the gardens, the animals, everything. And it's your job to name them and nurture them and take care of them and, and foster everything that's good here. That was our first assignment. And we have lost our way. And I know, you know, yes, sin has come into the world, but we have lost our way. And I feel like part of the redemption and part of um, becoming more like Jesus is taking back up that assignment and saying, mm -hmm. I need to see how I can fit in. And, and like I said, it's it's so vast now, but we have to do whatever little part we can do to, to mm -hmm. save the planet. And I, I mean, there's so many stuff going on with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so here again, you know, there's the biblical component and then the science component, right? Yeah. So there was a commission that was formed a few years ago um, called the Eat Lancet Commission of like, it was like over 40 different scientists from different specialties, including human nutrition and environmental science. And the, the question that was posed to this commission was, can we feed a future population of 10 billion people a healthy diet within planetary boundaries. And the reason why that was posed is because it, the science and the evidence was is continues to show was and is continue continues to show that we're destroying our planet with animal agriculture we've mm -hmm. got deforestation happening at an alarming rate um, in brazil um, because of you know because of animal agriculture you know locally in the u.s we've got places like in north carolina 
that have, you know, like basically doubled, close to tripled the amount of hogs at different farms in a in an area that's populated largely by people of color and poor people, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get into that, you know, momentarily. But, you know, so this planetary boundaries is like a major, major problem. Um, I I know that when, um, you know, when I wrote the plant-based workplace, mm-hmm. um, that first edition, you know, I, I d- talked about the environment, but I didn't, I, the Eat Lancet report hadn't come out, you know, before I published, wrote and published that book. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that, that they said within that report, and we'll attach a link in the show notes, mm-hmm. um, they said, and I'm quoting here, food production is among the largest drivers of global environmental change by, by contributing to climate change, mm-hmm. biodiversity loss, freshwater use, interference with global nitrogen and phosphorus cycles and land systems change land system change and what's so dangerous about this is if you can if you think about one we're making the 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 planet and the earth basically um so um we're, we're, we're destroying when we when i say we're destroying it we're making it difficult for us to actually grow food in the soil because of the damage that's being done. And the damage is, yes, there's the pollution from the nitrogen and the phosphorus cycles. And that has a lot to do with the manure and waste that gets produced by animal agriculture. Um, But climate change itself, so the emissions that are created from these large scale farms um, are, are warming the planet, are creating this, this disruption um, of our weather, weather system and making it difficult to actually grow food. So what's gonna happen? Well, what's obviously gonna happen is that food is going to become more expensive, which is going to make it um, more difficult for people who aren't considered wealthy to be able to afford the food, right? Because the supply is obviously going to um, go down. And um, and if we're if the planet continues to grow, the demand is increasing at the same time. So mm-hmm. what what we're doing is basically creating an environment where people, there's going to be more, you know, starvation, but also it's going to create an impetus for conflict. I mean, I can totally see you know, wars being fought over things mm-hmm. like food and water, mm-hmm. right? Because you need that to live. Right. And, um, you know, we're not necessarily seeing it now, although we're seeing high prices. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily seeing um, a lot of that. When I say that now, I'm talking about conflict. Mm-hmm. We are seeing disruption in the food supply system today. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But it if this path continues, you know, and you've got scarce resources like food, which you need, um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a hotbed for, for conflict and war between, between countries. So this is, this is not, you know, not a small thing to play with at all. 
Um, and then we haven't even really got into the whole concepts of even just the, the recent pandemic we were in. A right. lot of, you know, our, the way we raise these animals are the result of most of the, um, the viruses that we have. And we had a, we had a, a terrible one with Corona, um, mm -hmm. but it could get to the point where you could get another virus that's just as contagious as Corona, but maybe as deadly as Ebola. We don't know what we'll get next time. Right. So these right. things are, that's part of it as well, is that we're, we're, we're getting these, these, um, these viruses that could potentially um, wipe out a lot of people. And we've seen that firsthand with, with this whole pandemic we just came out of. Yeah, and there was a study, you know, that was published um, about, in the, I think it was 2018, I'll attach a link to that as well. But the authors of the study um, noted that the single biggest thing you can do for the planet is adopt a plant-based diet. Mm. And that's supported by the, the data that they provide. So meat and dairy provide only 18% of our calories, but use up 83% of our farmland. Yeah. Um, and then- they go on to say that without meat and dairy consumption, global farmland could be reduced. Without meat and dairy consumption, global farmland could be reduced by more than 75%, an area equivalent to the US, China, European Union, and Australia combined, and still feed the world. So what they're saying is that's how much land could be freed up. And, um, and so when we talk about, you know, especially I know that the environment is a major issue for millennials and uh, Gen Z's and, mm. and, and so even though, you know, you might be raised by a Gen, what, what am I, what are we, Cersei? We're not, we're Gen Xers. Is that what we are? We're not baby boomers. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're Gen yeah. Xers. Yeah. So if you've got Gen Xers and baby boomers who are not necessarily, you know, um, overly concerned about this, um, mm -hmm. which I think they are, but who knows? Mm -hmm. I know, I know for sure millennials and Gen Zs are because mm -hmm. they're having to live with the consequences right. of a planet um, that's that's um, at risk here. Mm -hmm. That you know doing something like eating plant-based um, is, is responsible. It's the responsible yeah. thing to do. And, and I, and I, I won't, let's, let's talk about the vegan junk food a little bit because mm -hmm. you've got, and, and I say that because, um, yeah, they have, yeah. mm -hmm. because our food system has already started to change, you know? Right. And, and so you've got a company like Impossible Meats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and beyond burger. And so mm -hmm. they, when you go to their websites and you look at and, and, and dive into the, the actual, um, like investor relations mm -hmm. content of their website and look at, you know, um, their 10 K's and, and, and all of that, their product is designed to leave a lighter footprint on the planet. Right. It's not necessarily right. designed to improve health. health, right? right. Mm. And so you have companies that are in a very high growth mode right now. Mm. Um, 
And so it, it is something that people are starting to pay attention to, but I don't think that, um, that it's quite gone mainstream yet. Yes, it's moving in that direction. Right. Yeah, got yeah. Burger King having it. But mm -hmm. until Burger King stops selling beef burgers and only mm -hmm. sells impossible burgers, in my opinion, it's not quite mainstream. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but yeah, but the awareness is getting there. Um, but I, I just think it's powerful because I think one of the things when you think of the environment, it seems like something that's so beyond you. Like, how can I make a difference in the entire planet? And just to know that by the choices that I decide to pick up at the grocery store, what I decide to feed my family is a way to contribute to that. That to yeah. me is so empower empowering because I don't have to, you know, you know, donate millions of dollars or 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 do the impossible, I guess taking from impossible burger. I just, you know, you just have to change the way you eat. And not only are you benefiting the environment, but again, you're benefiting yourself and everything else. So it's just, it's the gift that never stops giving to me because it's it, it you could do this one thing to change your life and it spurts out into so many different areas of improvement and benefit and responsibility. And um, yeah, so I, I love yeah. that. And, and the future of, an, of, of animal protein mm. has got to change. I mean, yeah. companies are already seeing that, like we mentioned Impossible Burger. You've yeah. also got companies that are now making mainstream, and it's not quite caught on in the US yeah. yet, but yeah. it is in other parts of the world, using insects as animal protein. Uh, um, environmentally, it's, it's, um, it leaves a lighter footprint. Um, now, if you're vegan for animal reasons, it doesn't quite line up with that. Um, Health-wise, I don't know. I haven't read studies, but I hear anecdotally, it's a good source of protein, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the future of animal protein. It's insects yeah. or um, lab meat, which is also yeah. something. That's another thing on the rise where they're actually creating foods in a lab. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's so many spinoffs to this, but I think the biggest takeaway is, do you want to be a part of the solution or do you want to be a part of the problem? And right. I think once we become aware because a lot of times you just live in your life you don't even know that hey me eating this and that is destroying the planet you're just eating your dinner you know but I think bringing this awareness so that we could real to, and this is why I said back to that plate mm -hmm. it's not just what's on the plate right. it's what happened to everything to get to your plate and then so now you start to move beyond your plate and that's what we're calling you guys to do is to elevate. So yeah, it's about what's in the plate, but it's about what is also beyond the plate too. And bringing that all into alignment with our values because yeah, because I, I just, yeah. So that, yeah. So I think that that's powerful. It, it gives us a, a way to act um, without being so overwhelmed. Yeah. So we have to be stewards of the planet. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's transition into social justice Cersei what 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 are your thoughts on that food and social justice well I, I think it's a with I think it's almost like 
everything has an element of equality to it. You know, it's like there's nothing that's untouched. And when it comes to the system of food, um, it shows there too. Because you want to talk about um, having access to fresh food, I believe should be a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to um, grow your food, being able to have access to fresh food to me is a human right. But I think where this is where the social justice comes in is that some of that has been compromised. Like, you know, depending on what area you live in, if you're going to have a grocery store, like the thought of it to me that I have to drive an hour to a grocery to get fresh fruit, to me, it's just insane. And you have a lot of communities where it's marginalized communities, the black community, the brown community, uh, poor areas that have been overlooked. And then all the, the all it's like the new liquor store now. Like mm-hmm. processed food is the new liquor store in those communities. Fast mm-hmm. food is the new liquor stores. And so you have access to all this food that's not going to help you physically and and then you have to go way out of your way to get food to edify like it's not right and I feel like it's something that we should speak up about and something we should stand against to say you know everyone deserves access to fresh food yep yep absolutely and we also have to change the demand profile for Mm -hmm. those foods I think of areas where I've lived and these weren't food desert areas necessarily Yeah. But they were areas where people were just choosing those fast foods, yeah. you know, because their palates have been hijacked. And like you yeah. said, they're not really thinking about, they're just thinking about, I'm hungry, I want something to eat. Yeah. And yeah. they go get their dinner at this place and that's what they eat. Yeah. And and so I I think we have to simultaneously change. I feel like I guess part part of why I put so much emphasis on changing the demand, quite frankly, Cersei, is because mm-hmm. I feel like trying to change the system is almost futile mm-hmm. because there's too much money in people mm-hmm. being sick and poor. Mm-hmm. Like there's too much money in people being stuck in this mm-hmm. cycle mm-hmm. of 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 eating, you know, crappy food, getting sick, being tied up in the healthcare system. Our healthcare system is like $4 trillion a year. Most of it's sick care management. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I feel like if, if we spend, and I know this is what you and I do, and Mm -hmm. that's why I'm proud of what we do is Mm. we work on changing the demand profile. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciate, you know, people going to Congress and lobbying and doing that. I, I'm grateful that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to ignore changing the demand profile because those grassroots efforts do work. They do work. Yeah. Because do if work. you're not yeah. spending your money on that crappy food that's making yeah. you sick, yeah, companies aren't going to supply it. You know, yeah, it's, all, it's all about the dollar. Yeah, it's all about the dollar. It's and all about per- the dollar. A perfect example of that, Gigi, is the demand for non-dairy milk. Yep. We see the revolution of, because I remember growing up, the only option was regular milk. Like, you know what I mean? And so you bought that and there was a high demand for it. But now 
almond milk, cashew milk, they have taken over because the demand, even if you're not completely plant-based, people are leaning more towards those milks. And mm -hmm. you have dairy farmers now who have completely flipped the script and said, you know what, we're no longer selling um, dairy milk. We're going to sell almond milk, or we're going to start doing walnut milk. And there's so many companies now that are on the market that have actually originally started in the dairy industry, but saw that the demand was there. And, you know, there's some statistics out there, I guess I could link it in there that was saying in the next 10 years, there will not be a, a dairy industry. That's how much yeah. we're moving in the direction. And, and it just to, to your point, Gigi, is that if you demand, if, if you change what you are consuming, it will change what they are selling. And that's a yes. perfect example. Yes. And if we could yes. do it with yes. non-dairy milk, we could do it yep. with everything else. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we just have to get everybody out of the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like- Who wants they're... to take the red or the blue pill? I know. Take it, you know? Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other the other social justice component, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, is the fact that a lot of these factory farms and yeah. they call them CAFOs or concentrated feeding operations are in poorer areas. And they're calling the term that um, is used for that is environmental racism. And um, and so they are basically just destroying the health of the people who live in around in those communities that are surrounded by or next to these cathodes or factory farms. And, and it's a crying shame because it's not only eating those foods make us sick but mm -hmm. actually producing them and the, and the waste from those animals that get into the water and get into the air actually makes you sick. There are so many documentaries out there where you have communities where from the baby to the grandmother have cancer because of these swine factories in their mm -hmm. community. Um, so it's not just the fact of us eating it, but it's what it's doing to the people around it to have to produce it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it you know so so it's it, it harms on every level so, you know what i mean and then you say to yourself well should you know you shouldn't be putting it in black or brown communities but we shouldn't be making this thing period if it's going to toxify the air and all that other stuff right right and just as a point of example because i like to bring in the numbers yeah. and science yeah. Again, we'll we'll get this um, included in the show yeah. notes. Mm -hmm. But the Environmental Working Group published an article um, that basically showed the, the the disproportionately threatened Black, Latino, Native American, uh, North Carolinians, and mm -hmm. they were talking about um, the rise of chicken and turkeys in specific counties mm. increasing over. Um, what was, I guess, an eight-year period from 2012 to 2019, um, that the number of chicken and turkeys increased from 83 million to 113 million. So it's a 36% increase. Mm. Um, and, and if you think about um, if you think about that, and there was one county, the three county increase was driven by the expansion of one county where the number of chickens 
and turkeys increased by 80%. So that was driving the bulk of the increase mm -hmm. um, to 24 uh, million. That is just, that's just inexcusable. I mean, but, but let's go back to that supply and demand equation. If people weren't buying those foods, right? If they were choosing not to eat those they weren't going to Chick-fil-A, <laughs> they weren't going to KFC, mm -hmm. that, that, that demand wouldn't be there, right? right? That demand wouldn't be there. And, and I, and I want to point out that, you know, I live in a rural community. It's a very environmentally conscious community in Washington state. The Pacific Northwest is known for their environmental stewardship. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that it's very, it's a very elitist kind of mentality mm -hmm. because they're like, well, we have a family farm and we have, you know, our chickens and our cows and whatever. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that, okay, if you have your own farm and you're only eating your right. own food. Yeah. Okay. But mm -hmm. then if everybody else is currently eating those animals had their own farm and their own food. Would what would happen to the land? You know, yeah. you still come back to the same problem, right? Yeah. You yeah. have too many people, and, and and obviously that can't happen because you've it's got not people happening anyway. So yeah. it's not, yeah. I mean, it's and then well, well, they should only eat family farm foods. Okay, well, let's go back to the supply and demand equation. Mm -hmm. Then you have this mm -hmm. limited supply, and so the price of that animal meat will skyrocket, which, hey, from my perspective, let it be. But I'm just saying it then, again, kind of creates this thing where, um, you know, you're this elitist kind of thought process and lifestyle. And I, at the end of the day, I mean, the right thing to do for the planet is to not eat the contributing things that are destroying the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say contributing things, I mean, contributing like living beings yeah. and we'll get into the animal piece yeah. next, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's just get right into the animal piece. I think you could kick this off, Gigi, because this is, you know, one of the main, this was your, your starting point. It was, started. it was. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people assume I went vegan for health and I didn't actually. Right. Um, and that's pretty evidenced by the fact that I knew about the work of Dr. Dean Ornish in when I was diagnosed with my problem five years before I actually changed my yeah. diet. Yeah. And so I had I done it for my health, I would have done it five years sooner than I actually <laughs> yeah. did. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> so um I I went vegan for animal reasons, mm. animal rights reasons. And a lot of times, you know, and, and I, I, when it happened, I was, I was both angry and embarrassed because mm. I'm like, why didn't I see this sooner? Like I, here I am 40, 41 years old when, when the revelation happened mm. and I just, I hadn't made that connection and I was watching a very powerful documentary called Earthlings. And everybody who says that they love animals should watch it, especially if you're not vegan. If yeah. you're not vegan and you love animals, watch Earthlings. Mm. Watch it with eyes wide open. And don't say to me, I don't like seeing those kind of movies. Well, you know what? 
it's kind of yeah. like having your head in the sand, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so this movie really opened my eyes to how we use animals yeah. and, and what was so powerful for me is that, you know, I had, you know, at the time that I watched it, I had three rescued dogs, um, all pit bulls or pit bull mixes. Mm-hmm. And um, always felt like an advocate against like dog fighting and all of that mm-hmm. and just animal abuse in general. But what I didn't really realize until I watched that movie was what a hypocrite I mm-hmm. was because I would badmouth people who are abusing animals at the same time putting a dead animal in my mouth by choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just, it, and that's why I say I was, I was, I was embarrassed and I, I was also angry, like frustrated, mm-hmm. angry, like, why didn't I figure this out sooner? You know, how could I be doing this all these years? And then I was like, I, I, I would, I, I don't want to say I was mad at my mom, but <laughs> for raising me, like but I was like, mom, why didn't you? And then, you yeah. know, it was so weird about that conversation where she's like, well, we, I grew up on a farm, you know, and yeah. we had our chickens. I said, well, did yeah. you kill the chickens? No, my mom killed them. I was like, well, did you watch? She said, no, I couldn't watch. I was like, but you still ate the chicken and didn't dawn on yeah. you. That, you it's, this, it's this contradiction. Cause I remember going home. Um, my parents would take us to Jamaica to go to our grandmother's house. And at that point they would raise like goats, um, chickens, you know, just a various different animals. Um, and back in those times when I was small, they were even riding donkeys for transportation, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I remember as a little kid, and it's funny how you just grow out of it, but your, your pureness as a child, is like, it's almost like, you know, right, the right thing as a child. I remember crying and saying, don't kill the little chickens. I would be making friends with all of the little goats and the little chickens. Yeah. I remember crying saying, oh, or I used, or they used to like whip the donkey to walk faster. And I remember crying saying, don't whip the donkey and this and that. And they're like, girl, sit down. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. at the time I didn't know what that was was until now when I look back I'm like it's just intuitive for you to be compassionate to living things that are just around you as children but then you get cultured and you're getting raised in a different way and so you lose that childlike innocence of just knowing that you know what I mean and so that memory came back to me you know and I was like yeah, and I lost that memory, but it came back to me. And I, and I think it, it fits in because it's a part of being just a compassionate person in general, mm-hmm. um, you know, and with the animals as well. So, yeah. yeah. And what, what was really, you know, so I, I saw this scene in Earthlings where mm-hmm. this cow was being turned upside down and throat mm-hmm. was being slit and mm-hmm. blood was coming out. And before all that happened, they did a, they panned in on his eyes and you could just see fear in this cow's eyes. Mm. And Uh, all I could see was my dog, Malcolm in his mm. eyes. And I, that's, that's where the light bulb switched for me because I was like, that cow wanted to live. That cow has the intelligence to to no. procreate, yeah. Yeah. to mm-hmm. 
eat when when hungry to defecate mm. to yeah. you know protect their young to mm. you know they i mean there's this inherent intelligence we don't understand yeah. it right yeah. we don't yeah. speak cow language and the, you know <laughs> but but it's like it's this appreciation because you you know i would see it in my own dogs like each one of my yeah. dogs has their own has had or has their own personality yeah. you know malcolm yeah. has since passed away but yeah. he had his own personality you know he we called him professor malcolm he was a scholar and a gentleman i would go out <laughs> and buy like bow tie collars because yeah. he looked like you know he looked he 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 not just look like, but his demeanor and his personality yeah. was, was yeah. he, it, 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 and, and, and just like, you know, the dog, you know, Max and Bree, I mean, they all have their own personality and anybody that has a dog knows this and can appreciate it. And it's kind of like, why can't you extend that same, you know, feeling that you have yeah. for your pet towards yeah. other animals? Yeah. And, and what, we, yeah. And, and it taught me that my, you know, that I had the capacity to love beyond my dogs. Mm. Like I had the capacity to love other animals, but it also, and I'm going to, I'm going to tie this back. Cause I, people say, well, you care about animals more than you do people. Mm. That is not true. Mm-hmm. When you can love the most helpless of us, mm-hmm. the one that has, that has no rights Mm-hmm. you know, no voice mm-hmm. that that love is so big that it absolutely extends way beyond that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I think people who, um, who say that don't always understand the breadth of love that you can have in your heart for other beings and other people. Like, like it's, that's my opinion because I, yeah, yeah. It's socially constructed because we all, you come on the pet lovers that are out there, they'll go to the, they'll go everywhere for their dogs and their cats and stuff. So it's socially constructed. But then if you put another animal instead of the dog, because we're socially accepted, it's like Bambi. Oh no, we can't eat a deer. So we choose even what animals to eat because we've developed attachments around this animal versus that animal. But the fact that you can attach one means that you have, like you said, you have the capacity to attach to them all. Because of the fact that we're just socially putting boundaries around some animals that we won't eat. And then we'll look at another country and say, well, how could you eat our animal? Well, how are you eating your animal? You see what I'm right. saying? It's, it's right. But again, because it's social, but at the end of the day, it just shows you that it, it, it's um, it, it, it's socially constructed and really it should be none because when you go to another place, dogs aren't revered. So you go to another right. place, they might chop those dogs up and, right. and eat them, you know, but we can't fathom that, but it's the same thing if you look at every animal in that context. Right. And so- you know, and, and I like to bring things back again to the spiritual piece, which is at the end of the day, you know, when, when Adam and Eve was in the garden, they were living the life of the animals. They were not eating them. And that's just a fact that cannot be taken away. You know what I mean? Um, and they were living in harmony with the animals. The animals were never designed for us to eat. It was meant yeah. for us to have companionship and to 
to take care of, like you said, the least of these, to be able to be their protector. Because that's mm-hmm. exactly what Adam was doing. He was protecting the garden and, and, and nurturing them. They were never meant to be eaten in their original design anyhow. So, but yeah. yeah. So, wow. We have come full circle here, Cersei. We've got, we covered the health piece, the spiritual mm-hmm. piece, the environment, the social justice, and the animals. Um, have we left anything out? <laughs> No, um, I mean, we could have, but I, I think it's it's just showing you that it's not a simple issue, but it is a simple issue because it that one change can change so many different facets, but yet these are a lot of complicated issues in of themselves. You know, like we could do a whole episode on the animals, Gigi, like in terms of just having that compassion for living beings, you know, outside of ourselves. It's, 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 it's a part of our, our compassionate um, test, you know, and, and we've, and we failed it, I think, because of, 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 of just the way that we're just showing the most vile, behavior towards things that have breath right plants animals everything mm-hmm. um and so it brings us back to look at ourselves and say what would jesus do you think jesus would be at a factory farm you know slashing right. necks and do this do you think he'd be destroying the planet and and, and kind of said yourself you know how compassionate do you want to be mm-hmm. for the environment for yourself right. for your health you know what I'm saying? For social justice, for, for the people who are marginalized in the community, for the animals, for, for everything. Yeah. Um, that's a question. Like, how, how compassionate are you willing to be? Yeah. And it comes down to one word, I think, mm. that, that encompasses all of this. And, and, and I, I would say kindness, you know, mm. kindness, you yeah. know, kindness towards yourself. Mm, you know kindness towards the planet kindness towards other people that inhabit and share this planet and other animals and this kindness around you know that god is good and that he has a divine purpose for each of us each one of us has a divine purpose and we cannot fulfill that purpose to our highest potential to our highest free mm. at our highest frequency in the best yeah. way if we're not healthy and yeah. healthy in body and mind so i love that i love it kindness it's like basically it's just the golden rule do unto others as you would want to do unto yourself it's it's gentle and it's just it's just that yeah yeah beautiful mm. so let's be kind guys let's be kind and change us at the end of our fork and um, improve our health, improve our spirituality, improve the environment, fight for those that are least of us, which is the marginalized communities, the animals, the planet. Um, Let's be kind. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. 
please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again, keep honoring your body for your purpose.